Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. Welcome back to the Women's One Football Podcast. My guest today, again, before we never speak to each other again, is Jessie Parker Humphreys. Jessie, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine, and it's nice that we're still friends. Um, before, <laughs> For now. Before the weekend. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, there were a couple of WSL games to be caught up over the week before the final weekend of the season. So on Wednesday, we saw Manchester City beat Birmingham. I thought we'd start there. The The Blues were condemned to their first relegation of the WSL era. It it looked for a while like they might actually pull off a... Well, they still would have had to have nicked a goal, I guess. But for a while, they were in this game uh, before the floodgates opened. Uh, firm, uh, City are now firmly in the driving seat for third as we head into the final weekend of the season. Jesse, firstly... How much solace can Birmingham take from the way that they've battled the last month or so after we'd all written them off? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those horrible things, isn't it? You kind of saw it with Bristol City last year as well. It almost feels like some of these clubs that it's only when they're almost certain to go down that they kind of realise that maybe they could do something about it. But by that point, you've got like five games left of the season. And in Birmingham's case, that also involved playing Chelsea and Man City. So I think even when they, you know, kind of got that pretty impressive win at Brighton the other week, you still were like looking at the amount of points they had to make up on Leicester and the games they had to play. And obviously, you know, they pushed Chelsea a lot closer than they did uh, City. But even then, it was always going to be almost an impossible task I think because so much of these relegation battles in the WSL you know as in many leagues come down to the the head-to-heads ultimately and as soon as they kind of lost to Leicester home and away you felt like it was going to be almost an impossible gap to make up. It's it is their first relegation of the WSL era what what do you take from it like is this is this a situation where not enough care and investment's gone into the women's team or is it the result of the league and, and other teams getting stronger or you know like to lose a club like Birmingham feels like such a shame I don't know if, if this is time to talk about maybe expanding the league as well possibly as which is a discussion we've already had this season about whether or not we can we can introduce more teams soon as the professional game grows in England yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a massive shame and I think it's kind of um, the logical conclusion that, that we have seen over time as more and more clubs in the WSL are represented by Premier League clubs, right? This relegation will just kind of leave Reading um, still going and obviously, yeah, Birmingham haven't looked after their women's team, but without being as up to date on the men's side of Birmingham, I'm kind of feel like they've not really looked after their men's team either. So um, although Reading, I guess, is a interesting example where they seem to have been a lot better at doing that, um, despite, you know, struggling in the championship on the men's side. In terms of expanding the league, I think long term, that would be a good thing. But I do worry you end up with kind of a two tier system. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I don't know if that has to be a problem, because at the moment, you've kind of got a three-tier system where you've got four very good teams, two rubbish teams in Leicester and Birmingham, and then kind of a whole host of middling teams. So if you were going to add like four more rubbish teams, then you at least bring a bit more excitement among the rubbish teams, um, yeah. which I think ultimately like would probably raise their standards and at least give fans of those clubs something to, to care about a bit more as you go through the season. Like It's pretty miserable when you look at 
Birmingham's numbers to have kind of picked up points in only four of your 18 games or how many games we end up with. But um, right, I yeah. guess that's, that's my question, I guess. How much does the league, does the standard of the women's game in England improve if you have not this Birmingham-Leicester head-to-head, which decides relegation, but basically four teams that are in that mix instead and they can all take points off of each other? Yeah, I think I, I think even last season you saw it was a lot more exciting when you kind of had Villa, Bristol, Birmingham, mm-hmm. even West Ham were kind of like clinging on at points. Um, it definitely felt like there were more permutations to to happen. And I think we've seen in the championship this season that there's a lot of quality down there. You know, even the fact that, say, Liverpool didn't get promoted at the first time of asking um, last year. Uh, obviously, they've been promoted this year, but I think that that shows you that there are teams that are good down there and I don't really understand like why it matters. Obviously the concern is this thing of like, Oh, teams are going to get pumped like 10 nil by Chelsea, Arsenal city. But the fact is like, do we really believe the teams at the very top of the championship are significantly worse than Birmingham or Leicester? I'd argue that I don't really think so. And some of those teams get pumped occasionally in the WSL. So, you know, does it matter if we see more? I don't know. I think people are a bit overly hand-wringy over those results. Aston Villa and Leicester, I think, would obviously say that clearly the the level is not exactly uh, what you'd think if you like, if we promoted more teams necessarily, that they'd they'd make a, a better fight of it um, than, than those two clubs have in relegation battles of the last couple of seasons. And they've both managed to survive those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think ultimately teams would benefit from playing more games, um, to be honest, both from like the fan perspective of getting to enjoy stuff, a bit more riding on stuff. But, you know, I also think it is hard for these teams to kind of come in and develop. And you do look, look at like a Leicester and they've clearly got a fantastic setup. They've got some really good players. They're, you know, I thought they signed really well in the summer, but they obviously just found it really, really hard to adjust to the level. And I don't think that helps if you're almost everyone you're playing against has been on a very different level to you for for a longer, much longer period of time. Whereas if you had, you know, maybe three or four of these extra teams, you get a chance to like adjust to the league because there's more teams who are, who are the level around you rather than just like going in and suddenly you've already lost your like first 10 games. And it's a bit like, well, where do you go from there? Speaking of relegation and speaking of the championship and the level of the championship, we, we need to talk about Coventry United quickly. <laughs> this... Yeah the greatest of great escapes i think eight games unbeaten at the end of the season a 97th minute screamer to to beat watford and send watford down and keep coventry in the championship after enormous financial troubles and a 10 point deduction how like you've seen the women's game the community around the women's game kind of really get behind coventry over recent months it's a shame that these stories still aren't told as widely you know, we even saw during they, they they got to was it the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and people were still talking about you know Chelsea and Man United and Manchester City and their fixtures and not the fact that Coventry were playing um, playing Arsenal at that at that stage of the competition. Like how how do you feel seeing Coventry stay up and seeing a team survive against all odds and and what it means for everybody at the club as well. Yeah, I think it's a great narrative and I think it's a really important narrative because, you know, as we were talking about the WSL kind of being increasingly dominated by sides who have Premier League kind of brother clubs, as it were, um, you know, the 
championship has a whole range of, you know, very exciting independent clubs, whether you're looking at London City Lionesses, who obviously broke away from Millwall a couple of seasons ago, Durham, and then, you know, a team like Coventry. And I think it's really exciting that, you know, in some ways Coventry's story on its own is amazing, but I was almost more struck by the fact that, you know, they were relegating Watford. And again, I think it's a great insight into how little resources you do need to succeed in the women's game, but also how kind of mind-blowing it is that clubs whose, you know, overall resources would far outstrip someone like Coventry can still be in a position where they've got relegated despite another team having a 10-point deduction. Um, I do, like, find that quite... I would find that quite embarrassing if I was a Watford fan, personally. But hey-ho, you know... (laughs) Different different clubs do different things, and, and that's fair enough. But yeah, I mean the the balls on Molly Green to take that free kick like that is I honestly I don't think I've seen anything like it. Like stepping up, I guess maybe you feel like you've really got nothing to lose at that point. Right, um, but, but to step up and be like I'm going to put this top bins is wild. She's like 35 yards out, like 30, 35 yards. Like I think the vast majority of people would would just put that into the box and then it's somebody else's problem to maybe put it in the net like if she hits that and it flies over the bar then that was the last chance of the entire season and she's just completely wasted it but she said fuck it anyway and went for goal it's outrageous yeah i mean yeah to basically score like the goal of the season (laughs) um given the context like on in that moment is just uh, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I think also Coventry have shown that they can be really smart with, with you know, kind of how they've signed and how they've they've brought in players. You know, they obviously brought in Nat Hay on loan from Villa, uh, Alicia Endow from Villa as well. And I think that also speaks to kind of the cleverness of recruitment that there are, I mean, Alicia Endow's at the opposite end of her career, really, to Nat Hay. But, you know, there are kind of older players out there who maybe aren't at WSL level, but are still available and can maybe just bring a bit more of that kind of um, calm head, like having experienced so Mm. much stuff in football. And I think, you know, maybe that's something that say a Leicester team in the WSL have kind of missed out on. They've kind of picked up quite a lot of younger, more exciting players and some of them are great and they can be really enjoyable to watch, but sometimes you need someone who's going to be a bit more smarter on the pitch with that level of experience. And I think that's something that you can kind of see with Coventry's squad building that's basically helped them help them stay up. Um, and yeah, it's a like totally remarkable story and I'm really happy for, for everyone at the club. Going back to the WSL then, uh, Birmingham's defeat obviously came to Manchester City. Manchester City now are massively favourites to to finish in third. Chloe Kelly's back and back and looked like her old self, which I think is great for everybody, especially great for England ahead of the summer. Um, She was really, really good on on Wednesday night. Do you think there's any chance that City, who have hit top form recently, now slip up at the weekend against Reading? Or is that third Champions League place theirs? I think it's almost certainly theirs. Um, They just seem to be in really good form. And I think, you know, City have always had a lot of high quality goal scorers in their team, obviously. And I don't think Gareth Taylor is a great manager, but I think ultimately when you've got that level of quality, especially in your attacking players, there's very little teams like Birmingham, Brighton, (laughs) Reading are going to be able to do to 
to stop you. And I think there's a level of momentum behind this City team. I think they've won everything since they lost to Chelsea. Um, they are just on this like ridiculous winning streak. And I just think it's going to be way too much momentum for them not to get it over the line at Reading somehow. Um, I think United should feel pretty disappointed in themselves, honestly, to have kind of let this slip and not been able to take advantage of City's kind of awful start to the season. This was, you know, really their <laughs> moment, I think. And I feel like for for exactly the same thing basically to happen to United in two seasons in a row, obviously under different managers, but, you know, to have looked like they've wrapped up a Champions League spot in December and then by the time you get to the end of the season, one of the traditional big threes kind of pipped them to the post again. Uh, obviously, last Arsenal last season, City this season. It's a really frustrating one because, as I say, you know, I think this City team has a lot of quality, but I don't think it's particularly well coached. And so I think to kind of let the quality shine through because you can't, you know, you end up drawing with Villa is is a really frustrating thing to have, have happened. Drawing with Villa, losing, uh, drawing with West Ham, and then just losing all of the crucial sort of head-to-head matches. And I guess that's been the difference this year, really, when you look at the table. Not just for United missing out on the Champions League, probably, but also not being involved in a title race. They've lost the games when they've played Arsenal, when they've played Chelsea, when they've played Manchester City. They've, they've got to that, like, they're clearly the fourth team in the WSL. But yeah. They need, yeah, like, that's needed for the next step, right? Like they need to be able to take on City and Arsenal and Chelsea and take points, take wins from those games. Yeah, and I think you know they Mark's going to kind of justifiably point to say the Continental Cup win over Arsenal. Uh, they did obviously also draw with Arsenal, but again, the nature of that draw was frustrating. Arsenal, Arsenal, with, Arsenal equalized any centre backs as well. Yeah, um, and uh, they equalized after they'd gone down to ten players, right? Yeah. So you're just like. It's still an, an annoying one. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they still have to play Chelsea the second time, but Chelsea have smashed them both times. They played them this season in the league and the Continental Cup final uh, in the semi-final. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen on Sunday, but I think Chelsea will feel in a similar position to Man City. Um, so I do think, you know, to be kind of fair to Skinner, like it is only his first season with the team. And to be honest... I don't think I'd have expected at the start of the season for them to have kept it up for so long. But then that's very hard to judge against, given how big City's capitulation was at the start of the season. You know, like Mm -hmm. I backed City to win the league uh, before the season started. So just because I thought that, you know, summer transfer window was so good. And obviously, you know, you have to look at the context and that's where that frustration does come in. And... I think United have a young team and I do think they can look at their squad and justifiably say, you know, players like Alessio Russo Elatoun are very exciting players who have clearly gotten better this season from last season and we can assume will probably take a step up again. And the I think United's only worry is is what I mean, defensively I think there's a lot more to be done both in terms of tactics and personnel. There's a high possibility, I think, that Ona Badia goes this summer. Um, and I think she's probably their most talented player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think they've still got holes to fill, but I also think that's understandable given that they're about six months old. So, 
<laughs> yeah, well, almost. Um, so let's let's put to one side for a moment whether or not Manchester United can pick up a result at the weekend, I guess, and, and just say the title race is obviously still alive after Arsenal beat Spurs 3-0 at the Emirates on, on Wednesday. Beth Mead has scored in six games in a row now, I think. It was a third game in a row with a goal and an assist from her. Leah Williamson has been unbelievable lately, like gone to a new level um, in possession, especially. My question for you is not for this weekend, where I think Arsenal play West Ham. It's a tricky game, but I think we would expect Arsenal to win. My question is looking a little bit further ahead with Beth Mead going to a new level this season. Stephen Buxtenius has come in, obviously. Leah Williamson has turned into even more than she already was the, the leader of this team. How do you think Arsenal can keep up with Chelsea? And do you think Arsenal can keep up with Chelsea in the event that Viv Miedema leaves this summer? I think Arsenal can keep up with Chelsea even without Viv, mainly because I've been pretty underwhelmed with Viv in kind of the past couple of games. I don't think... I think this 10 role was exciting when it started. There's obviously the great moment in that United game we just talked about where she, you know, she plays the pass for Stina. Mm -hmm. But generally, I feel like you see her dropping so deep so much of the time that I'm like, come on. Like, you're not playing a 10. You're basically playing as a four at this point. Um, So I definitely think Arsenal have the, the players to still compete although I do think there is a question then who fills that spot given Idaval doesn't really seem to like Iwabuchi he doesn't really seem to like Jordan Nobbs and Jordan Nobbs is now probably going to be injured for quite a long time yeah. by the looks of things you know Kim obviously played there earlier in the season but it doesn't feel like a very dynamic option to be totally honest so I think that's you know if Viv's going you, you've got to ask like are you bringing someone in who can kind of play that that role well, I guess that's the question, right? Like the 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 fourteen goals this season, uh, which isn't isn't even as many as as the last couple of seasons. Um, she's got fourteen goals. She's got seven assists. She's obviously Arsenal's top goal scorer again. But that's all going to have to be shared around, right? Like Beth Mead's going to have to continue getting better and score a few extra goals. And Stina Blackstenius is going to have to score more regularly. And then a new signing maybe doesn't have to replace what Viv Miedema is doing but just half of it if other players can fill in for the other half yeah and I think Arsenal's kind of problem at the moment is they've got lots of talented wingers and you're like but there's no one obviously to kind of shunt over more to the middle so you can play them all more regularly because I do think like Caitlin Ford I think is really impressed towards the end of the season I thought she was fantastic on Wednesday night um and Kate McCabe clearly Jonas is really more than happy to play her as a winger and I think she looks really good in that position. Nikita Paris, it hasn't really clicked for, but I do wonder, we didn't really see her at all last night, obviously, yeah. but you do kind of think that, I don't think that horse is totally dead, you know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I do wonder whether scoring her 50th goal and kind of getting that strange um, totem off her back would kind of help her push on but again these are all players who are kind of going to play in similar areas I guess you could probably put Ford maybe as um you know interchanging up, up with Blackstenius sort of. yeah, yeah. And, and, she went, and she went up front yesterday when when Stina Blackstenius came off as well so and then scored a couple of goals straight away it, it's not it wouldn't be unusual but uh but yeah I think Caitlin Ford's been excellent like you said recently for Arsenal I think she's, she was great last season as well um but the best thing about her has been her partnership almost with Viv Mead and myself. It'll be interesting as well to see mm. players like her and Beth Mead and the way she's played this season 
if they can continue that without Miedema, um alongside them. So, right. So next season, we think Arsenal can still be there. Can they still be there this season? Is there, especially after City have now, I guess, almost taken a bit of the pressure off themselves and maybe a bit of the 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 tension, the energy that could have been used positively by United if they were still the favourites for that position that they would have taken into the Chelsea game. Do, do United now go into the Chelsea game deflated and and just Chelsea roll them over? Or do you think there's one more twist left in this title race? I mean, I hope they go into it deflated. My concern for United against Chelsea is that United want to and this has been the united's problem against chelsea all season so united want to play a certain way they want to play out from the back they want it all to look nice they want to have possession and chelsea just love to roll teams over who do that not at a very high level um where chelsea struggle is teams who are kind of willing to sit back and play in that low block that's why you've seen a struggle against birmingham villa um even leicester at points as well in like the fa cup game before they got a player sent off so I feel like United have, of course, have the quality to cause Chelsea problems and they have scored against us both times they played us. But I think ultimately they don't play at a level that's not going to let them, you know, see the ball turned over a lot. And that really is, you know, a high turnover is really Chelsea's bread and butter when it comes to scoring goals. And I don't see why Mark Skinner would change stuff and kind of understandably as well, because given there's now almost nothing riding on this um, for United. It kind of makes, it would make more sense, I think, to say, okay, well, you know, let's carry on doing what we've been doing all season and let's see if we are at a higher level than when we played Chelsea at the start of the season and we lost 6-1. So, but I still think ultimately that will play into Chelsea's hands. But yeah, I would, you know, United are clearly a team with lots of very, very talented players. So you're never going to say they couldn't get anything off Chelsea um, but I think ultimately the way they're going to want to play is is going to put things in Chelsea's favour even before you get onto the fact that Chelsea know if they win they'll win the league and they're at King's Meadow and they this would be their third consecutive title but the first one anyone's been there to watch I just think that whole narrative and I think Chelsea as a team really feed off narrative around them I think all of that combination will be way too much yeah so that was Chelsea dominated Birmingham at the weekend, but obviously had to be very patient and and needed a penalty to get over the line and get the three points. Do you think there's... Well, you say Chelsea feed off of that energy. Do you think there's any chance of nervousness kicking in? Or, I mean, I'm of the opinion that Chelsea, as you say, they deal with these situations so well. They live, they live for these situations. I don't see Chelsea getting nervy, and especially not uh, at King's Meadow, where I presume it's going to be full or basically full for a third title in a row. I don't see Chelsea not turning up or shooting themselves in the foot here. Yeah, I think Chelsea have looked a lot more nervy this season than they have in previous. You know, I do think that Barcelona Champions League final loss had more of a mental impact Mm. than maybe has been talked about. I think Chelsea had kind of, across that entire season, constructed kind of this veil of impenetrability. You know, we we won everything there was to, to win. We kind of played every game it was possible to play. 
we knocked out Wolfsburg, who are our traditional uh, foes and kind of proved to be again this year um, in games where we hadn't played well and we'd still gone on to win. You know, I still think about the Atletico Madrid game at the start of that Champions League run where Sophie Ingle got sent off at, at 10 minutes after 10 minutes and, and Katrin Berger saved like a gazillion penalties across that entire thing because we played so badly. But what was really noticeable that season is there were lots of the problems that you've seen for Chelsea this season, but it was almost like this belief like that we, that we just don't lose. And I think this season in some of the blowouts Chelsea have had, which have been very reminiscent of that Barcelona game, where, you know, you've got the, the 4-0 against Wolfsburg, the 3-1 against City in the Continental Cup final, even, you know, the 3-2 against Arsenal. I think that game was more complicated than the result suggests but only Chelsea were 3-1 down and Arsenal kind of ripped them to shreds in the same way that um, Wolfsburg did I think actually it was very reminiscent of that game in, in then December so I think those kind of capitulations have been evidence of a team who doesn't have quite the same belief and mentality as maybe they did last season but I do think King's Meadow is then becomes the overriding factor um, on Sunday because you know, I think it's just a, it's a total, I think Chelsea still hold that as being like, when we're at home, it's a different story. And, you know, all of these games where everything's kind of gone horribly wrong have been away. So really, aside from the nil-nil against Juventus at Kings Meadow, which again was a game that we kind of dominated and should almost certainly have won. Um, and then you're talking about a totally different season for Chelsea anyway, but there's really not been any hint of that same kind of worry or anxiety that I think has crept into Chelsea's play in in some of those other big matches. And on top, you know, as if more motivation was needed, it will be a last WSL game for a few very special players at Chelsea, won't it? Yeah, so obviously GCU Young, Drew Spence and John Anderson have all kind of announced they're leaving as their contracts come, come to an end. There's been a little bit of chatter about whether this is sanctions related. My kind of hunches that all three of these players were probably looking to leave anyway. Chelsea are normally quite good on their contracts. Um, anyone they kind of want to keep, they tend to tie down pretty early. You know, we, well, we've... Just, sorry to interrupt, but just, just very quickly on Jiso Yon as well, especially, I think there's been an element of Chelsea sort of like moving on, if you like, from, from a team that's run by her basically in midfield and she's also returning to South Korea right so it's not like she's leaving but still playing in European football yeah exactly and I think it's safe to say that if GCA Young wanted to carry on playing European football there would have been plenty of offers on the table <laughs> yeah, for I think her there'd have been a few. Um, and equally John Anderson is going back to Sweden too so I think there is a sense that you know these all of these players are kind of players who have been kind of slowly moved out of the squad um, either as the result of age or just kind of Emma Hayes's change in tactics or what she wants from players. So, yeah, I mean, I hope G's been out. I'm not exactly sure why, but the past couple of games. So I, I hope she's in the squad and, and we maybe get to see her. But this is also the funny thing about this game is you kind of want Chelsea to wrap it up early. So because otherwise none of these three <laughs> players will start, you assume, and you, you yeah. want them to kind of get their goodbyes. I mean, I think John Anderson's had a fantastic swan song, really. You know, if if you want to kind of look at our past three games, she's basically been the actually the one to kind of single-handedly ensure the title's still in, in our hands. You know, she's got assists in both the Tottenham games and then it was her cross into the box that kind of leads to the handball mm. for the penalty. Um, so, which is a great way for her to go out. And, you know, I think she's 
she's always been a very high quality player in those attacking situations, even when you've kind of seen her defensive lapses. But yeah, I mean, it. I think it, that's, it's lovely that it'll be at Kings Meadow. It'll be great to like send off these players like Drew and G especially are uh, just such Chelsea legends. It's almost impossible actually to imagine the club without them. And I think especially, you know, if Drew gets a WSL deal, which I'm sure she will, you know, I think she's only like 29. Like there's a lot of Drew Spence that could be seen and I think would mm -hmm. be really exciting for some of those more mid-table teams. Um, but it'll be a very strange, strange sight to see. I'm quite glad say that G is going back to Korea so you don't have to like see her play for someone else really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think... I think the only thing that's, you know, I think we can say fairly certainly Chelsea were always ready to move these three players on. The question mark becomes, OK, but these three players are moving on. Who and how are you going to sign anyone else to replace them? Because you need to sign other people to replace them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it always is in women's football anyway, but it is going to be a really interesting summer with three players that have been, even if not constant starters, not all three of them anyway, but such big parts of Emma Hayes' squads over the past few years. And I think it's really interesting as well what you say about Drew Spence because I think that's another way that the women's game in England will just progress and progress and progress when these players, you know, as, as more players come in from abroad or the development happens, or, you know, more development happens for, for younger players and they're more ready to have a bigger impact at, at younger and younger ages, then we will see that. We will see a Drew Spence. We've seen it in recent years older, later stages in their career, but with Farrah Williams or Jill Scott sort of playing for then mid-table sides in WSL. And that will just bring a new level of professionalism to clubs that are maybe still finding their way in the women's game a little bit. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, we were kind of chatting about Reading as this last kind of championship team going in the in the WSL and I think they're a team who've, who've shown how well you can do that you've mentioned Farrah Williams um, obviously Tash Harding's been at the club for ages I mean she announced that she's leaving at the end of the season but even you know Natasha Dowie basically fired Reading to safety within mm -hmm. uh, I mean I know they lost their first three games but then they went on this like great winning streak and <laughs> Natasha Dowie scored a ton of goals and they basically knew by December they were safe and that kind of just gives you a bit more freedom right to play but again that's a player who has vast amounts of experience. You know she's going to score goals. And, you know, so many WSL teams just need a player who can guarantee you five-plus goals across the season. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think there's it will be as those players kind of move out of maybe the bigger clubs and they've the biggest clubs have the opportunity to bring in more players from abroad and, and things like that. And that just, like, allows the talent and experience to kind of spread more evenly across the league. So... That's the WSL for the season, almost done. We've got that one weekend. We've got that. I mean, if we're saying City are, are almost certainly going to finish third, then Chelsea are almost certainly going to win the league. Those are the two things we'll be looking out for anyway this weekend. I want to skip a little bit, well, a little bit back, but also a little bit ahead and talk about the Champions League semi-finals and what it means for the Champions League final. I know you re-watch both semi-finals as well. So tell me, Barcelona... Were there chinks in an armour there? Or was this a team that was just so far ahead and missed a few chances early on and there is absolutely nothing to read into them finally losing the game? I think there's stuff to read into it in terms of what it offers other teams because I do think what you've seen teams who play Barcelona do have this real, especially this season, this real sense of fear. And I think it's so fascinating to compare you know, the way teams have approached Barcelona this year as compared to last year, mm -hmm. where, you know, 
City didn't really run them close, but like they were kind of in the game at, at points, you know. Equally, PSG, we can say they did run them close in the semi-final. Then you get to this final where they blow Chelsea away and everyone's suddenly like, oh my God, Barcelona are like the best team in the world, which I think is a fair thing. But you're like talking no, about you're, a team... You're right, nobody, nobody really realised until the final happened last year that this was definitely true. Right, exactly. So then you go into this season and everyone's like, oh my God, Barcelona, ah! Um, so I think what maybe the Wolfsburg game showed, even though, yes, I think game state played a massive part. I think Barcelona could easily have been about three and a half at halftime anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did show that, you know, <laughs> this all, all football teams are fallible and you can get at them. And I think what Barcelona showed is that in that Wolfsburg game, there were moments where they had kind of collective panic. I will say the only thing is, is both Wolfsburg goals are just fantastically well taken goals um so it's not like Wolfsburg felt like they really created like a set of very very good chances uh I think they across both legs there were different points where they did actually kind of work Barcelona a bit tactically rather than just relying on Basmuth and Rod being very good finishers um but I think generally it's still fair to say that Barcelona are the best <laughs> best team in Europe I think and I think they will win the final um, but I do do hope that it maybe gives other teams a bit of a reminder that they're not this totally infallible football squad. Well, and and if we if we entertain the idea for a moment that Barcelona aren't totally infallible, surely if there's one team on the planet that will not be intimidated and not feel like they're playing the reputation and the badge then it'll be Lyon after everything they've achieved over the last 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Lyon have this, <laughs> obviously, you know, Ada Hegerberg had those quotes where she was saying, you know, whatever, before football was played in Barcelona, it was played in Lyon. They obviously feel, and I think they have a right to feel pissed off that suddenly there's this focus that Barcelona are like these new darlings. And they're like, hang on, like we were doing this for a decade <laughs> and they've like turned up and won one. Like <laughs> when they were also like in a very like transition season, they obviously didn't have Hegerberg, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do still think that Leon are in no way good enough to beat Barcelona. I just don't think they're particularly good I think they've got talented players but I think you kind of watch those games against PSG and you're like oh you can kind of create these amazing like individual moments mm-hmm. um you know Selma Basha basically ran the show for Leon in in that second leg in the first leg they score three goals off three PSG errors but there was very little actual um creation I think especially in the midfield and I think it'll be really interesting because Everyone was like really hyped that uh, Damara Segarola was going to be fit for the second leg, and then she doesn't even start. So I don't really know what Sonia Bonpastor is thinking there. But to me, that she would be like the logical player that you're really going to want, you know, to kind of go up against Alexia Pateas, um, which is also a big ask for a player of Damaris's age. But I thought that was like a strange decision, and I don't know how much that is actually going to influence her thinking for a fi- for the final. Whether she thought they were just going to be fine against. PSG anyway, which ultimately she was right to think, I guess. Um, So yeah, I do just feel though that Barcelona's midfield is so superior to Lyon's. And I think, you know, that's so much where Barcelona's good play comes from. And again, Lyon, I think Selma Basha and Ellie Carpenter are both good fullbacks. 
but they're both very young fullbacks still. I mean, Ellie Carpenter obviously has quite a lot of experience within this Leon Leon side, but you still think I would still worry about them against uh, Carolina Graham Hansen and I like I don't know who Barcelona will choose to to play on the left. Whether um, Anna Maria Kurnal, still can't say her name. <laughs> whether she like stays either, either way, Fridolina Rolfo will be there as well. Whether she's playing further forward or further back, right? Yeah. Exactly. Or they whether like Mariona it. comes back into the team as well, yeah. like. Um, so I just think all of those players are of such high quality. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think Barcelona will be too good ultimately, but I do, you know, I think Barcelona's the, the key thing that you've, you've always got to look at with Barcelona is you're like, both of those fullback positions can definitely be got at. And Lyon obviously have talented players who can kind of, peel out into those positions as well. You know, I think Kat Macario having such a free role could really allow her to kind of attack that space that if Rolfo plays at fullback, she does leave in behind. And that's where like Wolfsburg did get joy. Um, so I think that's what you've got to look out for as well. Uh, Melvin Malar, if she goes up against Marta Toroha as well, I think that could be a tricky thing. But then I thought that about um, John Stottier against uh, against Torrejon mm -hmm. uh, in the Wolfsburg Barcelona game, and it didn't really come to fruition. So, I think it would be an interesting one, but I just think Barcelona are ultimately still still too good. I just don't see Leon being able to create the um, amount of attacking chances they need. They will need to um, really put Barcelona under pressure. Well, to round things off, I was planning to put you on the spot and ask you who's going to win the WSL, who's going to win the Women's Champions League. Um, it, I feel like we're pretty confident that you have an answer on both. Uh, so instead, we're just over a week away from the FA Cup final. Are Chelsea going to make it a domestic double? I think so. I think Chelsea will be... I've been saying this, but I think the Continental Cup final loss was actually more embarrassing than the Champions League final loss, just because I really don't think the City team is very good. And we I know. think... Chelsea will be very, very up for kind of getting their own back there. Um, but I don't know. I, I will still say, you know, Chloe Kelly being back as well is is a stress because we all know that Chelsea's fullbacks, when they see tricky wingers, tend to kind of lie down on the ground and cry for a little bit. Um, and obviously, you know, lots of Chelsea's better play against City has come has come with Kelly out and, and maybe they've Chelsea have found it easier as a result just to focus on closing down Lauren Hemp by, you know, obviously just putting Jess Carter on her in, in those games. Mm. Um, you know, I think in the Continental Cup final, Chelsea kind of shot themselves in the foot with some of those goals. Um, they've shown that they do kind of know how to mark Caroline Weir out of games. They just didn't really choose to do so, apparently, in the second half of that one. Um, so, but I do think City have still shown that you know, for all, they've kind of got a settled defence now um, with Greenwood and um, Alana Kennedy. I still think Alana Kennedy especially is a central defender who can be got at. And I think Chelsea will feel like that they're, they're owed something, you know, given that they'll have potentially missed out on, on a domestic treble again as a result of City. Well, I think if that all happens, then we can agree that the domestic domination is still going on anyway. With Whether or not it's a triple this season, um, maybe they'll just have to settle for a double. Jesse, massive thanks, like as ever, for, for joining us. And where can people find you? 
people can find me on Twitter at jessiejph. Fantastic. Enjoy the last weekend of the WSL season, but not too much. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Thank you.